You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Hello and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. This is not the voice you probably expect. This is Rich Fetke. I'm Kathy's husband and I'm here with Kathy, but today I'm going to be the host of The Real Wealth Show because I've got some interesting questions for Kathy. Hello, everyone. And I do love your voice. <laughs> you sound like a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Putting on the DJ voice. So, Sexy DJ. So right now we are live here in um, Park City. We are at our Discovery Ridge Park City, Utah project. It's a ground up development here uh, where we're developing 42 single family homes and 25 townhomes. It's just a beautiful space looking around here. Uh, 75% of this project is open space. So just trails and mountains, snow-capped mountains, just incredible. We're here with our daughter, Krista, and uh, we got some ski days in. So loving, loving this here in Utah. Yeah, it's really nice when your project is also where you like to visit and vacation. It works out well. Yeah, really nice. And this whole, this whole thing, they, they're in so much need of residences and homes in Park City. And at the same time, it's very hard to get a project like this through all the entitlements and everything. And, and that is, you know, part of the risk of a ground up development project is that in the entitlements. We'll be talking about that today because people will come up and ask me about our development projects and all that. And I feel a little clueless sometimes. Kathy's the expert here and this is what she leads in our business. So I thought it might be a good idea to pick Kathy's brain and learn myself and also share those lessons with you our listeners. So here we go. I'm just actually, let's go back to the basics. So how would you describe a ground up development? Well, usually it means you're buying a piece of land and building something on it. So if you look at intrinsic value, when you buy that land and you had to, for some reason, sell, um, it's not worth that much. It may be worth less than the money you raised for it or the money you borrowed for it because there's nothing there yet. It's just the vision in your head. So there's definitely more risk. There are projects where there's already a building there and you have to tear it down. And there's, you know, risk there too, because that's expensive to tear buildings down. Yeah, right. I definitely want to look at that today. Okay. So, um, you know, when it comes to ground up real estate development, I often hear people say it's, or they say it's a high risk, but high return game. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, we just skied with a developer in Park City, and I would say it was worth <laughs> the risk for him. Mm -hmm. um, he's built some beautiful projects and has a private jet now and beautiful homes. So, you know, you, you probably can think of developers who have done very well in life. There's, there's huge profits when it goes well. Right. There's huge losses when it doesn't. And there are so many reasons why it may never get off the ground and all you have is dirt. So it's super important to do everything you can to mitigate the risks, right? You can do everything in preparation to mitigate those risks, but there are many, many things you cannot prepare for. And we'll talk about that today. So it, it is, you have to know that you're going into a risky deal when you do any kind of ground up development, whether you're doing it yourself or investing in one. Got it. That's the high risk, high return. So when it comes to a, like a ground up development project, like how long does it usually take typically? Oh my goodness. It just really depends on the area that you're in, uh, in Texas. You can get her done fast, right? Right. <laughs> if the permitting process does not take as long, I think that might be changing now. But uh, 20 years ago, you know, that didn't, it didn't take much to, to build. And that's why you're seeing so much growth in Texas and, and areas where there aren't so many hurdles. But try going into an area where there's a lot of environmental concern. It's a, 
sensitive place like where we live in California. It's really hard to get permits to build. We have a, a friend who has been trying to build his house for over yeah, 10 years. Yeah, 11 years now. 11 years it's and wild. cannot get it approved. And uh, he's got a million dollars sitting there in dirt, and it's, it's very frustrating and very expensive. However, the upside is if you can get a project off the ground in areas where it's hard to have that happen, then the value soar. That's where the huge profits are sure. because nobody else can get it done. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I love that. So <laughs> I know that we've um, you know, raised the funds and developed these projects and everything from um, here in Park City to in California and Dublin and Reno, Nevada. Uh, even in Costa Rica. So I've also seen how much our investors and we've partnered with our investors and how much capital we've raised to do these projects. So, and I've seen you know, 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, 20 million. So what, is there a typical amount that it costs? It just depends on the project and the number of units and the amount of land. Uh, it can be, you know, 1 million. Mm -hmm. It could be 500,000. You know, you could, you can, I just got a proposal of homes that are going to cost $140,000 in Texas. Can you imagine that? Wow. Uh, that's just the school fees here in California <laughs> you have to pay. <laughs> yeah, <that's crazy>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, it just depends on the area. We've had projects, uh, one of the first projects we did years, years ago that we're still working on 10 years later, of, let's see, no, more than 10 years later, it was 4,200 lots in Tampa and the purchase price was $16 million, but the total project cost is in the hundreds of millions. Wow. So I can see, okay, so there's, I can see the reward for sure and definitely can see the risk, but let's look at more into the risk. So what, what other risks? I know some of them, I'm aware of some of this and some of it I'm somewhat clueless. So we'll go for, you know, a little by little here and just, you know, go through that. So I guess the first one would be costs, like unexpected costs or something like that. So what kind of costs you need to be aware of? So this isn't normally a problem. <laughs> this is a big problem today. Normally, a developer can go in and bid out a project. A builder can bid out a project, and it doesn't vary that much. There's usually a 10% variance mm -hmm. um, in the contract that they, they don't totally know what the pricing is going to be of, of different materials and labor. But today, it has, in some cases, certain products have gone up four times in cost in just a few months. Uh, the supply chain shortages are, are really hard. So even, even some of our partners who have been developing for 40 years, they're having trouble building out the cost of a house that they might start next month. Unless you can order all of your materials today, then you have a very good idea of, of what it's going to cost. But not every builder can order you know, everything in advance. You might not have a place to store it. Some of the bigger builders do have that. But when we just went to visit our project here in Discovery Ridge in, in Park City, they had stored the garages with refrigerators that they yeah, ordered a year smart. ago. Yeah. So thinking ahead on construction costs. And I know that you got like kind of like fixed costs and control costs, like costs for permits and overhead design, consultant fees, um, financing costs, things like that, real estate tax. Those are some, some you can predict and know and kind of work that into your numbers. But yeah, just like you're saying, it's like some things are more not fixed costs. And the variable. Well, the overhead is really important to look at too, because if you do run into delays, and over the past couple of years, we've had nothing but delays. Uh, some, some job sites were shut down every mm. time anyone got sick. Right. And if, if one person on the job site had COVID, the whole place shuts down for two weeks. The same for the city. And you need the city to approve your plans. And if there's nobody there, nobody working, can't do it. So any, and sometimes it's weather related. Uh, in our project, sometimes there were, there were winters where it was so rainy or or just so snowy that we couldn't get anything started until the summer. And uh, that's six months you can't build. And that causes delays. 
And when you've got delays, you still have to pay overhead. You've still got staff to pay. And the hardest one is the loan fees. Because you've, if you've borrowed any money to get this project off the ground and you're paying on those fees, but the project is two, three, four years delayed, those are overhead costs you may not have planned for in advance, but you should. Wild. <laughs> okay, so there's construction risks, there's environmental risks, there's entitlement risks, there's probably, I mean, even the developer is important. So you have to evaluate a developer, I know that, before you go into business with this developer and working with it as a partner working with that developer. So what do you look for when you're evaluating a developer? What, what do you look for? Um, what I've learned over the years, and I wish I had uh, known this before, but even if a developer has 20 years experience, 30, 40 years experience doing a certain type of project in a certain type of area, it doesn't mean they're an expert in another area. Right. For example, you wouldn't um, decide to go in a helicopter with a pilot who's only flown Regular airplanes, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter that they're a pilot. It matters what their experience is and how long they've had it. So that's the same for developers. Uh, A project that we ran into a lot of trouble with is the Shasta Wine Village, as you know, up in in Redding, California, where this developer had never done it before. Uh, We knew that, and our investors knew that. The, The risk was there because he hadn't done it before, and there wasn't anything else like it in California. And if that project came across my desk today, I wouldn't do it because there's just too much risk. It was an amazing idea, still is, where people can come and taste different wines from different regions of California, not have to go drive into the hills to find these different wineries. Just drive off of Highway 5 on your way to Shasta and, and taste some wines. And um, there's restaurants and, and a, you know event center. But lenders are cautious as well, so that you have a very limited number of lenders who will lend on something different. Oh, and that's important. And especially when the developer hasn't done it five or six times to prove the model. Yeah. And I, you've also mentioned to me too, like a developer might have completed similar projects in the past, but in a different market. So that's a factor, right? It's absolutely a factor. Every single city has different rules, different regulations, different city planners with different political views. And those can change every time someone's reelected. Mm. So you, you might have an area like, say, Dublin, California, when I was a news reporter many, many years ago in that area and was uh, interviewing the different city planners. One year, it would be completely anti-growth. They didn't want any new homes. And then the next year, uh, you know, someone else would be voted in and all they wanted was growth and projects would get approved, whereas the year before they wouldn't. But then the next year, once your project's approved, there might be a new council person there who wants to stop it. Right. So there's, you know, just, just the political side is a huge risk. Crazy. And then I would think that if that de- developers who's worked on other projects, similar projects, they go into this new market, even if they do deal with the, you know, local government effectively, they also have to find a whole new crew of contractors. Absolutely. Seems yeah. like they can't bring them with them all the time, right? Well, yeah. you know, actually our partners have done that. They brought their teams uh, to yeah, the different to sides. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's been so hard to, you know, he literally just flies them up and, and puts them on the site for six weeks and moves them around. But yeah, absolutely, you're dealing with completely new crews, um, new rules, regulations, environmental stuff. It's Wow. High risk, high reward. Okay. (laughs) So tell us more about just kind of the underwriting, the assumptions. So you want to analyze that in a developer too. Like what what kind of underwriting have they done? Yeah, absolutely. You know, how do I say this nicely? (laughs) People tend to be self-serving, right? So you've got to make sure that in the operating agreement, in in the documents, that the legal documents that you're signing when you're investing in a project, 
um, as an LP. And let me explain limited what limited partner. Limited partner means. Mm-hmm. You have no control. You are going along for the ride. You are not flying this plane. <laughs> you are sitting in the passenger seat. So you can't say, hey, I'd rather you do it this way or that way. Nope. You are passive and have no voting rights generally and no power. So you've got to make sure that you understand exactly what the business plan is and that it's not too loosey-goosey. When you read that private placement memorandum, you want to know exactly where the money is going. Exactly. And that way, if if it's not being spent the way you were told, now you have a case, now you have a voice. But if it's real vague and there's really big developer fees and overhead and the project sort of gets delayed and takes a long time, but the developer still gets paid, that's taken away from potential profit and from you. So you just want to make sure that you've run the numbers by, if you're, if you're investing a large sum, definitely run it by your CPA to make sure that, you know, again, if the project gets delayed, which it very well could and probably will, that's just the way it goes. You know, that there's some kind of stop there that the developer isn't, maybe they have to give up some of their profit in the end to compensate for the, the delay or, or whatever. But just making sure that the fees aren't going to take away all your profit. Yeah, that's important. So in addition to the fees too, I know from the PPMs or the private placement memorandums and the operating agreements that we've looked through, it's also, there's the sales projections, there's rent projections, there's project timelines, there's expense ratios, all that, it's like needs to be just laid out very clearly. No questions asked. Yeah, but let's, let's get really clear about that. How can you possibly project three to five years in the future? Right. You know, you're, it, you're guesstimating. You're guessing. You're <laughs> but guessing. it should be in there. You should be able to see several different scenarios. That's the thing about development. It takes time, especially if it's ground up and especially if it's an area where they are slow growth. Okay. And then you also mentioned environmental risks. I know that's something that we've had to deal with here in Park City with the snow and the rain and everything. But anyway, speak to that, please. Uh, There's always environmental risk. Obviously, in certain states, it's going to be bigger than others. But there are groups who kind of make it their business to sue developers for profit. They may be concerned about the frogs in the area, or they just want to make money. Mm. Uh, But there's always going to be resistance to your project. That's just the way it is anywhere. And it's definitely worse in some areas. So you've got to know that if you don't have the final approvals, there is a chance your project will get stopped because some group will try to stop you and they may win. Or it just delays for a long time. I don't know if you remember, we were standing on some land somewhere where it looked like a project had, had started and then stopped. And it was kind of in the middle of uh, open space. And I remember asking someone locally, what happened to that project? Oh, it got stopped because of, they wanted to protect the frogs. But there was already uh, some, some building that had started. So here they probably had all their financing and their investors and they still got yeah, stopped. Maybe they didn't do the environmental study. <laughs> in time, exactly. Yeah, ahead of time, yeah. Uh, so the, and that stalled us in our, in our Mountain View project where you know, the area is in desperate need of new housing. We were trying to increase density on this multifamily project we bought from uh, 236 units to 800 units. Right next to Google, this would have provided affordable housing. 30% of the project was going to go to affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was going to serve the community. And yet, environmentalists came in and stopped it. And we got delayed, and then we, we had to sell the project. And, and it was very difficult when, in fact, it would have been good for the community. Yeah, well, that's crazy. Wild. Okay, so... I know this one from experience because we went through it and you mentioned this earlier, but so when if you are, you're about to do a ground up development, but there's other buildings and maybe even other buildings with tenants on that property, how do you deal with that? 
That is something you've got to pay a lot of attention to. Uh, one of our first projects that our partner was, you know, is an experienced, experienced developer, 40 plus years. So I knew that I knew that he could handle any challenge that comes along. And let me be super clear about this. Every single project will have challenges. It will not go as planned. It's, it, it, you, you've got to be aware that there will be surprises. And what you need to know is that the person flying that plane or driving that ship or whatever <laughs> mm. um, can handle those challenges that they have the skills to know what to do. Uh, so we were able to, one, again, one of our first projects in Dublin, we purchased an old office building that we were going to re-entitle the land to residential homes. Uh, but we had to tear down that old office building, and there were already tenants in there. Yeah. Um, so we had to get agreements from all the tenants that, that they would be okay leaving or that we would pay for them to leave and, and help them find a new place. One tenant changed their mind and decided not to leave, mm-hmm. which meant we could not tear down that building, right? right? Uh, so our partner came up with a great solution. He took one of the residential lots. Uh, it was able to negotiate with the city to turn that into com- back into commercial. Mm-hmm. The city was happy about that because they wanted the tax revenue from this particular com- um, company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's ironically challenged dairy, and mm-hmm. they did give us a challenge for sure. Yep. But we were able to build them a commercial building for themselves. It was brand new. They were very happy about it. Unfortunately, their lease was a 10-year lease on the old building. So we couldn't raise their rents on this, you know, A-class, went from C you know, to A-class building. Yeah, they won too. <laughs> but uh, that 10 years is almost up and we'll be raising the rents. Yeah. But yeah, everyone, everyone won in that deal. Everyone won yeah. in that deal, for yeah. sure. The developer, us, the city, and the tenants. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's one. the one where the risk reward was worth it because investors made over 40% annualized. It was incredible. Uh, just, a, just probably our best project ever, but honestly, probably one of our riskiest. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Anything else about ground up development? Anything else about Park City here as we look around? Well, I do want people to know that I really believe this particular project has such an incredible upside. Values in that area have gone up dramatically. I think it was 25% just over this past year. And it's still about 40% below other resort towns. Mm-hmm. The, and yet it's only 30 minutes from Salt Lake City Airport. So Oh, and also Woodward, as you know, just became an Olympic training ground. Yeah, Woodward Action Sports Center, which is right next door. It abuts this whole property. And actually, Kathy and I were so excited about it when we found out that uh, the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association is their new training at uh, Copper Mountain in Colorado and at Woodward Park City. It's where the U.S. Ski and Snowboard teams will be training for all their tricks and all that. And the homes we're building literally look over that so you can sit in your living room and watch People do tricks on the half pipe or on these massive Olympic jumps. It's a really cool project, way undervalued, in my opinion. Um, I, it's not even my opinion. The yeah. price per square foot is in the, in the 500s, whereas just in the town next to it is 900. So, I mean, I think there's a huge upside. If you're interested, Jeff, definitely reach out, uh, Kathy at realwealth.com. You know my email. Because there are lots that you can buy in the $400,000 range. Great for a 1031 exchange if you just need something quickly. Uh, you can you can buy the land and then build later, or use our builder and build now, um, or you just put your money down, the twenty percent down, to have the house built for you in the two million range when the comps just right across the freeway are five million and up. Yeah, and actually, I'll add on to this because Kathy came home and after seeing this project, we we we've gone and seen it in de- its development stages. You know, from just the raw land and then the foundations going in and all the horizontals and everything, and then. 
we decided to buy one of the townhouses because we were so excited about this project and wanted to have a place where we could have our owner's closet with our ski gear and fly up and, you know, ski with our kids and family time and everything. And then when we went back to the project again, um, we just closed on one of the lots right there. And we're going to be building a single family home there as well, because it's such a great opportunity. So I believe in this place. Well, I just, (laughs) I really, again, believe that if it's an Olympic training center and you're literally bordering it, you can walk from your house to go train. I, I do believe there'll be Olympians renting these places. Absolutely, yeah. So I, it's a cash flow play more than anything. Absolutely. But a great place to store our skis too. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. yeah. All right, well, thanks for all of this. This is great. Now when people ask me about our ground up real estate development deals, I'll be able to give them better answers. I feel more in the know. And uh, I also have a much better understanding of why people say that ground up development is a high risk and high return game. So now I think we should head out on the ski slopes for another high risk, high return game yeah let's let's make it not so high risk (laughs) okay (laughs) all right everyone well thanks for being here and we'll see you next time on the real well show thanks for being my host (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye everyone the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.